Good morning, everyone. Are you guys good? Are you guys healthy? All right, good talk. Okay, so uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Sia, and I get the privilege of being able to lead your kids some Sundays, uh, but lead our ministry and also get us started youth. I think it's probably one of the best jobs that I get to do um, when I get to work. I know Paul is an incredible leader, uh, but today uh, I don't want to meander too quickly because I have a tendency to waffle sometimes because I, I think I'm pretty funny, but sometimes I can like obstruct what's supposed to happen at these times. So uh, we're in a series called That's What He Said, and for anyone that that knows what that's derived from. It's from a series called The Office with Michael Scott, played by Steve Carell. Um, but obviously, for him, it's, that's what she said. Uh, it's like innuendos. You, you can go glean some of that stuff later on YouTube. But because we want to keep the, the church spotless and blameless, we called it That's What He Said, because we're going to talk about Jesus. Paul opened it up last week and uh, spoke about competition and complimenting. Uh, it was a great message from what I've been told. Go listen to the podcast. I'm not going to give you a synopsis, so go listen. Um, so, but today, I get to tack on to the second part of the message, and today I want to speak on friendships. Now, for most married people in the, the audience, you might think, well, I, I, I don't know if that applies to me. I think every single sphere of relationship has some element of friendship within it. Paul and I, I think, are friends, um, as well as he's my, <laughs> as well as he's my, he's my boss. But I think there's some element of friendship in our relationship. You, married couples, they, I, I really believe there has to be some form of friendship within your marriage. If that's not the case, divorce is also not an option, so you're stuck. Um, but hopefully after this message, you will be unstuck. Um, but there's friendships in different categories of relationship. So I want to unpack that for us. I'm not by any means, saying that I'm an expert. I'm also still learning how to do friendship well. Um, so I, I'd really encourage just lean in. Uh, for all those that have been coming for a while, you know there are three things that you're allowed to say while I preach. And I'm going to just remind you guys again. You're allowed to say amen. You're allowed to say preach it. And you're allowed to say ride that bus. All are acceptable. Um, so whenever you feel the spirit moving within you, it's okay to give me some feedback. Um, but really, actually, that stuff is for you more than anything. Um, so the title of my message today is, Are You Still in the Friend Zone? All the fellas, do you know what a friend zone is? Yes? All right. It's okay. This is a safe space. Whatever we say in here won't leave the room. Um, but for most of us in the room, we might have been a victim of the friend zone. I was a victim of the friend zone when I was in high school. So primary school, you, you, you spend four, like seven years with these people. You're used to them by now. So obviously you, you don't have a crush on any one of them. And then when you get to high school, you, you get people from other schools, different areas. So there was this, this, uh, this girl when I was in grade 8. Man, she was all that in a bag of chips. Um, <laughs> and and uh, so obviously as a guy, you're like, geez, that girl's, that girl's cute. So then we started being friends. Obviously, as a, you start off initially, hey, let's just be friends. No ulterior motives. We're all good. Uh, and then somewhere along the line, you're like, wait a minute. Uh, so back then, pickup lines were still a thing. So your boy would just come up with, with some pickup lines like, hey, girl, if, uh, if I could rearrange the alphabet, I'd put you and I together. Um, and obviously, that didn't work as well. 
So then I turned into a scribe. I started writing her some letters. Um, and I and write letters like, Dearest Juliet, my heart beats for you like the bongo drums of Africa. <laughs> my love for you is but an arrow in the quiver of our destiny. <laughs> all these things, all these efforts, um, just to get her to date me. Uh, obviously, she didn't. We, uh, we stayed in the friend zone uh, for a very long time, and then we stopped being friends. Um, yeah, I was unhappy with the friend zone for very long, and I was like, you know what? Let me just move on with my life. Um, but the, you know the thing about that, that story is that from the beginning, I was out to get something and not give something. So it might have been rooted under the mask of, oh, yeah, let's be friends, and let's, let's see what we can get and give to one another. But actually, I had an ulterior motive. I was looking to consume something in that friendship. And when I didn't get what I wanted, well, I'm, I, we kind of stayed okay for a little while, and then I severed tires. And it's okay for me to just cut her off and let her go. I think that that idea of friendship is how we do friendships today. For most of us in this room, well, our kids play together. That's the only reason that we're friends. I'm friends with you because of the business opportunities that you can open for me. We're friends because we stay in the same area. We're friends because we like the same things, do the same things, are found in the same social circles. If those things were removed from our relationship, you and I would have no reason to engage. Or if you take it a step beyond that, all I want from you is what you can, what, is, is what value you can add to my life. The status symbol that you'll give me from us being friends. And I'm not even trying to imply that maybe that that's how you guys do friendships. But I've come to observe that for us millennials, that's how we do friendships. Because this wheel or the perception of what friendships look like has been broken and continues to break. Now, if we had to give a definition of what a friend is, I'm pretty sure most of us in this room would have different answers to that question. Even though there might be trace elements of similarity, but there's going to be a different understanding of what friendship is or what a friend is. So the dictionary defines a friend as someone with whom you share, um, you have a bond of mutual affection. It doesn't say someone that you meet and, and once the title of your, friend, of your friend, your relationship changes, you guys are no longer friends. Well, we're friends when you started, but now we're dating, so we're no longer friends. Well, we're friends when this thing was working to our convenience, and once that thing is taken away, then we're no longer friends. Affection is the root thing that keeps, that makes friends friends. So if we care about each other, then I'd like to believe that we're friends. So that means that there has to be work from either party to see this thing succeed. So how do we get to great friendships? Do you have great friends right now in your life? Are you a great friend right now in your life? I ask myself that question so often because... These guys are so good. I, I think that they're way too good to me. And sometimes I say them to them, like, guys, you give me way too much credit. Like, am I being a great friend to the people that I have in my life? So we're going to go on a bit of a journey of trying to understand this idea of friendship and the kingdom perspective of friendship as well as our perception of friendship. And hopefully at the end of it, we'll be able to amalgamate these two things and they might be able to work together to help us build strong life-giving, long-lasting friendships. Is that okay? There we go. I want to hear ride that bus. I'm, I'm so convinced it's going to happen one day. 
Um, uh, Paul and I were talking about the sermon and trying to put it together, and uh, we made an observation that the reason friendships are what they are today is because of two primary reasons. Now, there are obviously a lot more than just these two, but I want us to think on these two, and I want you to keep them at the front of your mind, and at the back end of the message, we'll revisit them and, and see how we can, we can put a kingdom perspective on them. So the first of those reasons is, is uh, maybe there's some part within us that can be a little bit selfish sometimes. Or maybe the person that you're friends with is a little bit selfish. Man, all you do is want, all you do is take, all you do is gimme, gimme, gimme. And as soon as that doesn't happen, the friendship doesn't function the way that it's supposed to. Or maybe there's something within myself that says, you know, like I need this. And as soon as I have no need from you, there's no reason for us to engage. And that happens here, in, like here for this friendship and that friendship and that friendship. And it becomes a, a habit and becomes a pattern within my friendships. Like have you ever engaged with someone who's like, this is very, this is very shallow, but like selfish with, with how much time they want from you? Have you been in a conversation where, so like you've given someone your best and they just hang around even after like the conversation has ended? And it's like at the end of awkwardness. So like, oh, yeah, okay, no, have a, okay, it's good, it's good. Yeah, so otherwise. <laughs> you know, ever been in part of those conversations where the guy just says otherwise? That's like, okay, I've given you my best, but like, can you, like, can you walk? <laughs> can I go the opposite direction? No? I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one that's been in that conversation. There are a lot of us that have been in those conversations. But um, the root cause of that obviously is, is, is not because of anyone's fault, but that, that's how we've come to experience and display friendships. Now, I'm not trying to say that you guys are selfish. I'm not trying to say that I'm selfish, but there is a trace element of something within us that needs to change. And it might be, a, the cause of that might be because maybe there is something within us that is a little bit selfish. Or perhaps in the area of shame, where I can only show you my best side and I, can, and I should hide the rest. Because if I was to express to you completely who I am, you might not accept me. You might not uh, love me the way that I have come to experience you loving me. There, there, there could be a deterioration in our relationship if I show you my secret dreams, if I show you my fears, if I show you my lusts, if I show you my secret desires. Maybe if you saw all those things, you, you wouldn't feel the same way about me. So it causes me to hide the fullness of who I am just so I could keep this thing uh, good for now. Just so I could keep this thing at level playing field. Just so we could feel like we're in the same team. Just so I could keep the I like the same things as you do conversation going. Now because of these two things, I think that there, there may be a... Uh, a drawback to how we do relationships. How sure are we that the people that are in our lives love us for exactly who we are? Or how sure are we that if uh, you stop giving, if this relationship became admin, you'd stop giving it this, that much time. You'd start spending less time together. You'd start engaging with the person a lot less. How sure are we that the people that we're engaging with 
are giving us their best. Now, we obviously can't be 100% sure of those things all the time, every single time. But I believe that there are certain things that we can start to do that can help us be someone worth befriending. So let's leave the other person for a second and focus on ourselves. What the things that we can control. I can control being a great friend. So what are the things that comprise of a great friendship? The first of those, I'd, I'd believe, is real trust. Not superficial trust, but real trust. Real trust is earned and not just given. Just because you always do things that make me feel good or say things that make me feel good doesn't mean that I should trust you. This thing is earned over time. Ecclesiastes 4.12 tells us this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, those that are married, um, if two lie down together, they will keep each other, they will keep, they'll be, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strings is not quickly broken. Trust is a reliance on one another. So when the time should come where things don't go the way that I might have expected them to in my life, I can trust that if I go to Paul and tell him what's going on, he's going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. So there's an element of real trust that I believe that he has earned over time. And the same way that I believe that I should earn his trust over time. I can't just assume that, oh man, we've got real trust just because we work together. I've got to work at this thing. We've got to labor together so that we see the fruit of that labor. And the fruit of that labor will be real trust. Or maybe encouraging one another. Uh, I, have, I have my friends with me, my entourage. Um, they're some of the best people that I know. And, and if you spend time with them, you'll realize that as well. Strong, uh, confident, sure of themselves know exactly what they want to do, sweet, kind, all the things that, that I believe I, I would need in my life. Now, we aren't perfect, and we don't always get this thing right. But man, if there's something that we can do, is encourage one another. Rick uh, took a faith step and quit his job recently. Everyone in the group got behind him. Man, we're carrying this thing with him. If he struggles, we struggle. If he feels fear, we feel fear. If he hurts, we hurt. We're carrying the load together because we want to encourage one another. That Ecclesiastes scripture can actually also feed into encouragement. Like two are so much better than one. We are so much better together. And as we journey, as we grow, the degree to which we encourage each other changes and evolves based on what the other person needs. I can't encourage Rick the same time every single day all the time. He's growing and I'm growing. The level of encouragement changes and evolves over time to what he needs, not what I think he needs. So when we experience true and real friendships, the encouragement element is not absent, but is actually really there to help keep both parties feeling like no matter what happens, they can get through. And that's seen in marriage, that's seen with your kid, that's seen at work, that scene um, 
with your neighbor, the people that you engage with, that we, you can become great friends with, encouragement can't be the one thing that we hold and keep to ourselves. We've got to be free to give encouragement. Uh, and then a, a little more bleaker one, maybe not, uh, but uh, friendship is also challenging one another. It's not always sunshine and rainbows. We're not always going to make each other feel nice just because we want to keep the friendship functioning. But actually, sometimes it will require me telling you what's necessary over telling you what's nice. Proverbs uh, 27, verse 5 to 7 says this, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. I'd rather my friends wound me than my enemies kiss me. We have quite a few tough conversations together where, man, if, if we need to be in a little bit of tension for a while for the sake of growth, we'll do that. Because we don't want to sweep things under the rug. And again, I want to emphasize, we aren't perfect. You don't always get this right. But we're somehow, through God's divine intervention, we're trying our best to do this thing really well. Where if something isn't okay, it would require a little bit of tough conversation. And it's not always pretty. It's not always nice. It's not always what we think it's going to be. It's going to be tough. It's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. But it's necessary because a friend cares about who you become tomorrow. So if the, the people that are in my life care about who I'm called to be and who I'm set to become, they'll have those tough conversations with me. Rick and Luto have had a few tough conversations with me. Hey, bro, this might be a blind spot. Maybe change this. Maybe try this. And I appreciate them for that. Healthy friendship is not without a little bit of rebuking. Rich friendships as well have an element of what do you need? And the person as well asks, what do I need? There's an element of contributing to one another as opposed to consuming things from one another. Um, as beautiful as this sounds, it's a little bit unattainable of our own strength. <clears throat> And I believe that the reason for that is, is there's some part within us that's a little bit broken without God. This brokenness, this view of, of relationship that is now broken has caused us to treat relationships like a fling. So we have a picture-perfect idea of what a relationship is, but actually the reality is this is how we do it. So we treat it like a fling. A fling is very short. A fling is based on what value you can give to me. And as soon as that ends, that, that relationship is over. But there's, there's something that God is calling us to. That, that picture-perfect idea of relationship, we can't achieve that on our own. We can't do that of our own strength. If we could change our behavior, change our character, change our thinking on our own, Jesus died for nothing. So if he died for something then we need him even in how we do our friendships. The problem now is that I, we, have been treating him like a fling. God, I need. God, I'm trusting you for. God, won't you. God, please. God, this thing. God, that. God, that. 
Those prayers are not wrong. Don't hear me wrong. But I do believe that God is not a waiter in heaven ready to take our order. There is an element of give and take. Yeah, we can pray those prayers of asking for something. But man, what are we getting from him? There's an aspect of God's character that we don't touch on often. And that's the fact that he is a friend. Somehow, even though we are um, unfaithful in our relationship with him and treating him like a fling, he still chooses to be faithful in treating us like a friend. God, you, I need this thing. But because he cares about you and I so much, he'll treat us like a friend. Yes, he'll give us that thing in the hopes that something within us will want to change the way that we do relationship with him. Maybe God wants to ask you a question to this, this morning. Are you still in the friend zone? Are you still in the friend zone with me? Um, there's a proverb, 18.24. It says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Are we still in the friend zone with God? I think, uh, I think it's 2 Timothy or whatever. It tells us that even when we're faithless, he's still faithful. Man, I want to start changing my mentality, changing my thinking, and start being faithful with being a friend to God because he is faithful with being a friend to me. John 1 verse 17, I mean verse 1 to 17, gives us a picture of what this friendship could possibly look like with God. And I'm going to touch on a few things as I read. But it says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even, it'll be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I want to just speak on the thing of, uh, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I think our thinking would, would be that, well, if I'm doing something right enough, I'm growing the way that I'm supposed to be growing, you'd let that thing continue to grow, God, and not prune it. Uh, but I learned in, in, uh, in the forestry field that even though a tree is growing right, doesn't necessarily mean that it, it should be devoid of helping it to grow better. Yes, it might be growing the right way, but it might need a few cuts here and there for the sake of what it can be in the future. Our relationship with God is not going to be devoid of pruning. Yes, you might be bearing fruit right now. Yes, I might be bearing fruit, and you might be reaping the benefits of that fruit, God's goal is to see me become everything that he has destined me to be, and that requires pruning. Because he doesn't want my life to be about the fruit, but to be continuously plugged to the vine. So when we let God prune some things out of our lives that aren't necessary for our growth, that aren't um, conducive to a healthy relationship with him, then let him prune 
can our hearts just be open to being pruned by God so that we can bear much more fruit? There's so much for us to experience if we can just let him prune some things from our lives. It carries on to say this. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and they will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be, in, may be complete. Uh, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is known than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants but because a servant does not know the, his master's business, business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. God calls us into this relationship of remaining in him. He says, remain in me. Remain, remain, remain. When we're tempted to try and do something of our own uh, strength and our own capability, he calls us to remain. When we're tempted to start doing something because he isn't answering a prayer, he calls us to remain. When we're trusting him for something and we're not seeing change, he calls us to remain. Just because things aren't going the right way doesn't mean that he's not still in control. He calls us to remain. Remain in me. Remain in me. If we, and this is like a very few things, we get to experience joy, we get to experience um, unconditional love. And from that, we get to experience real trust. Paul said something incredibly profound when putting this thing together with me, is that God doesn't promise unconditional trust. He promises unconditional love. But he calls us to be faithful with the little that he's given. And then he'll give us more. So when we experience that unconditional love and we're faithful with what he's trusted, trusted us to do, man, there is so much more in store for us. So now we swing back to those two things I asked you to keep in your mind. So if, if this relationship with God functions the way that it's supposed to and we're still in the friend zone with him, I'd, believe, I'd like to believe that it will change the way that we start to view our friendships as they exist right now. So if people are selfish, and maybe me as well, and God prunes that selfishness, and now I'm brave enough to walk across the room and start a relationship, start a conversation with someone, then their selfishness won't be that scary anymore. Because I find my assurance in God. I find my safety in Him. I find unconditional love in Him. If they don't love me, that's okay. I'm not called to be friends with everyone. I just walk across the room and start talking to a different group of people. And maybe the relationships that I have right now will require me to express a little bit of, a little more of unconditional love. A little more encouragement, a little more 
trust as I come to experience that from God. Or maybe in the, in the shame department where oh, I can't really express my true self. Well, that's okay. You're completely accepted and loved by God. Uh, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> the thing for us to understand is that we're a work in progress. I'm not perfect. And so is so the other person as well is also not perfect. So because I'm accepted and fully loved by God, I don't need to live for their affirmation. I've got it in him. So I'll walk across the room. I'll start changing the way that I'm engaging with the people that I talk to. And let this relationship shape how I do this friendship. Uh, I want to just go back to one little part, and I'm going to end off in this. It says this. uh, Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. Greater love is known in this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. God displayed this himself. Jesus displayed this himself. He laid down his life for his friends that will one day come to know him. Now we can start to dream and imagine what our friendships will look like when we start to lay down our lives for our friends. Imagine a community that continuously lays down their lives for their friends. How healthy will they be? How strong will they be? How life-giving will they be? Imagine a relationship with your kids as you continue to lay down your life for them. An employee, a work, uh, a work friend, a neighbor, uh, someone who looks and talks and sounds differently than you. As we continue to lay down our lives, just as Jesus did on the cross, how beautiful will that picture of friendship look? But it has to start with him. So can we remain in the Father? Remain in our friend, Jesus? As we continue to do that, we'll come to experience the seemingly unattainable picture of friendship that we painted earlier. Far easier than we would on our own. So I want to ask you this week, go lay down your life for your friends and watch God work. Let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of friendship. We thank you, God, that you call us to be friends, that you call us your friends, that love was displayed on that cross for your friends. May the posture of our hearts be to lay down our lives for our friends. Because we find our assurance, our security, our affirmation, our love, our joy, our peace in you. Won't that make us brave to start talking to people that look a whole lot differently than us? We pray this in your name. Amen.